Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. Hi, it's Beckett, and I have an audio postcard for you from the little town of Bardstown, Kentucky. So we were on a family vacation, and I found out that we were within striking distance of the Women's Civil War Museum. So how could I resist? And I convinced my husband to leave the pool for a day trip, which is pretty gracious of him, I must say. So thanks, honey. So we drove on the highway for about an hour or so, and we got there. The museum was very short of actual artifacts, you know, things, um, three-dimensional objects, but there were a lot of stories here, and I did learn a lot, and you know, some I think I'm going to save for, they fit in nicely to a couple of subjects we're going to do this season, so I'm going to save them for a possible mini-cast, but here's a few things that I learned reading the walls of the Women's Civil War Museum. This is all home front things. What was happening, not to the soldiers, in fact, mostly, but to civilians. Now, there was a famous bread riot mid-war, 1863, so right in the middle of the war, and honestly, the Confederacy was not doing so well economically. There was a shortage of food, and the prices, in fact, had gone up about seven times what they were at the beginning of the war. So add to this the fact that Richmond, Virginia was kind of right in the middle of the whole action. So waves of Union soldiers and Confederate soldiers, not only the battles themselves, but the soldiers like locusts kind of denuded all the farms. And so the local supply was really hard hit. And on this day, this famous Starving Women in Richmond Day, a lot of women assembled at a church and they marched and demanded relief from the governor and they complained about the prices and the shortages and he basically threw up his hands he's like i don't know i don't know what to tell you and they just turned into an angry mob instantly and started screaming bread bread and they started smashing windows and kicking in doors and looting the stores and more and more women came out um at first to see what the commotion was and then to kind of join in um, the bounty of the riot and it was more than a thousand mostly women you know there are not very many men civilian men anyway around right now and so they converged and kind of helped themselves to everything they could find and the president of the confederacy whose name is jefferson davis he showed up you know this is the capital of the confederacy so it's not so strange that he was there And so here's his big solution. He stood in a wagon until everyone was calm and looked at him. And he said, you don't have any money, so here's all the money I have. And he emptied his pockets and he basically threw it at their heads. Nice. That's very effective. Thank you for that. And then in his other pocket, he reached in and got out his gold pocket watch and said, and now you have five minutes and I'm going to order the militia to shoot you in five minutes. And so the militia shows up with guns pointed at them and they ended up dispersing And once everything calmed down, Jefferson Davis rounded up 60 men and women that he thought were the ringleaders of this whole thing and had them arrested for treason. So there's the famous bread riot in Richmond, Virginia. Here's another story of the home front. It's a sad story. Jenny Wade was 20 years old, and she lived in Gettysburg. She's engaged to a Yankee soldier who, of course, is is at war and isn't there. And she and her whole family ended up taking refuge in a brick house of Jenny's sister, Um, And so her sister had just had a baby about an hour before the Confederate Army rolled in. And this this is not a very movable family right now. There's some small children, a young boarder that lived in the house that was only six. And, you know, nobody was really fighting heavily, but there was kind of um, a skirmish area. That's so scary. Even if... 
I hate to think about this, these small children living right by this battle too. But for three days, all they could hear is guns, 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 guns. And they baked bread and brought bread out to the Union soldiers and filled everybody's canteens. And so by late on the second day, um, Jenny and her mom noticed that the bread supplies were running low. So they decided to make this huge new batch. And, you know, bread has to sit overnight. So, so they made the batch and went to bed. And then in the morning, bright and early, they got up to make the biscuits and, and the loaves of bread. And Jenny was standing right by the window and a musket ball came and got her right in the back of her corset. And she died instantly. Oh, so sad. And later that afternoon, Jenny's mother baked the bread that Jenny had needed the night before. Mm. Jenny Wade was the only civilian casualty of the Battle of Gettysburg. And there were between 40 and 50,000 soldiers that died during that battle. She's the only civilian. Now, the last one, which is no more uplifting... (laughs) really, is a story called The Roswell Women. You're familiar probably with the Scarlett O'Hara Battle of Atlanta. So this is about that area. So the Union just rode in, and and it was an undefended town, Roswell, so here they are. The general happened to mention to his superior, hey, you know, there's a factory operating here, this cotton factory that's making tent fabric. Just thought you should know. You know, there's about 400 people making supplies for the Confederacy. And the main general, General Sherman, was filled with anger about this and he said he wanted every single person associated with that factory male female old young owner employee he did not care he said let them foot it to marietta georgia and then i will send them by the railroad to the north and that was horrifying to people it was a deportation a massive deportation and he just basically said well to make war we're going to harden our hearts end of story So 400 women, freaking out, were rounded up from the cotton factory and basically herded out of town. Um, Now, it does say that there's an undetermined number of children allowed to go with them. And, oh, my gosh, I would hope so, that the children aren't left at home. It just just horrifies me, just for weaving cloth. Most of the women, um, we don't know what happened to them. We don't. It can't have been a good story. I mean, left with no family and hostile territory and no money. I don't know that any of them could have had good endings. One lady in particular um, named Adeline ended up in Chicago, and it took her five years for she and her daughter to come back to Roswell, Georgia on foot. I can't imagine how they made it back. But her soldier husband, her Confederate soldier husband, had returned and thought she was dead and had remarried. So that story does not have a happy ending. So see all these stories about the women in the Civil War, and, you know, none of them uplifting. But I saw Cold Mountain, and that's just, that's, yeah, that's pretty much, they didn't have it any easier. It was not good. We took off from there and went to their brother museum, which is the regular Civil War museum, um, the Men of Action one. And this one was very artifact-heavy. It was almost hard to take in the vast collection of firearms and uniforms and flags and cannons and... Honestly, my husband was just so happy because he collects antique uh, guns, so he was loving it. And there was a cannonball there, the exact same weight of my six-year-old son, which is 42 pounds. So he thought that was awesome. And we looked at all the submarine models. Did you know there were submarines during the Civil War? I'll have to link you up. So I began to notice, because the guns, just after a few, just blah, 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 more guns. Um, I began to notice that barring about two of the extreme high-ranking and I would hope to, you know, better-fed generals, 
I could not fit in one of these uniforms for the grown men, and I am not a big person. They started to be a little more human to me, I have to say. There were photos of sweethearts in there, um, some letters that you could read that were kind of laid out. And then I came around the corner, and I read this account of a dying little drummer boy who between 7 and 11 nobody knew his name nobody knew he was from and i just got crazy teary right there in the middle of the museum um and at first i thought well i'm just kind of a fool but you know i guess that's probably the right state of mind for someone to be in if you're not too jaded um seeing all this in one place so woof um so that was the regular civil war museum um that took up i would say that took up most of the afternoon but on a lighter note this is a a piece of advice that I'm going to give you. Uh, the docents at the museum led us to this little buffet restaurant. And we're, oof, dubious was not even the word when we pulled out. But we had the best fried chicken, the best fried chicken ever. And then my six-year-old ate about half a meatloaf. This is the South. And they knew what they were doing with the comfort food. It was the best ever. And then the low-carb thing that I'm trying to hang on to, pff, gone, flew out the window with the lemon meringue pie, of which I ate every piece they had out in some kind of gluttonous fury fantastico i have to tell you man and then this goes to show you that smartphones just rule we were sitting there after we had shoved all that caloric heavenliness into our head and we found that we were within blocks of the oscar getz whiskey museum what whiskey museum yes because we're in kentucky and this is bourbon country and my husband loved every last bit of this museum. This man, uh, Oscar Getz, had collected every kind of bourbon there was from every year, every release date. There were all kinds of, um, all kinds of historical details, like pictures of the women in shirtwaists labeling in the factory and packaging. And some of these operations go back hundreds of years. It was amazing. And then I found the Wall of Prohibition. There were anti-prohibition clippings and pamphlets and signage and the fact that doctors used to try to get around prohibition by writing prescriptions until they closed that loophole. And then at the very end, who did I encounter but someone I'm familiar with from growing up in Kansas, Carrie Nation was born in Garrard County, which was right next door. And they had signage, all that signage people used to have that was shaped like a hatchet that said, all nations welcome here but Carrie. And there was a bottle that was broken by her and this, like, fit of temperance and the little hatchet pins you used to get by joining her war on alcohol, being a warrior in the great fight. And honestly, that was all in one day. My advice to you is I would go to some local museums, wherever you are, even in your own town. You never know what you're going to find. And be sure to ask the lady at the front where to get some pie. Wish she were here. Beckett. Fried chicken. Gotta have some fried chicken now. Oh, give me some fried chicken, baby. Gotta have the fried chicken. Now.